0: Apologies for the sound quality, but I'm traveling with the laptop. Reading from the BMOC, William Wordsworth. It seems a day, one of those heavenly days that cannot die. When in the eagerness of boyish hope, I left our cottage threshold sallying forth with a huge wallet o'er my shoulders slung a nodding crook in hand, and turned my steps toward some far distant wood, a figure quaint tricked out in proud disguise of cast-off weeds, which for that service had been husbanded by exhortation of my frugal dame, motley accoutrement, a power to smile at thorns and breaks and brambles, and in truth more ragged than need was, or pathless rocks through beds of matted fern and tangled thickets forcing my way, I came to one dear nook, unvisited, where not a broken bow drooped with its withered leaves, ungracious sign of devastation, but the hazels rose, tall and erect, with tempting clusters hung, a virgin scene, A little while I stood breathing with such suppression of the heart as joy delights in. And with wise restraint, voluptuous, fearless of arrival, eyed the banquet. Or beneath the trees I sate, among the flowers and with the flowers I played. A temper known to those who after long and weary expectation have been blessed with sudden happiness beyond all hope. Perhaps it was a bower beneath whose leaves the violets of five seasons reappear and fade unseen by any human eye, where fairy water breaks to murmur on forever. And I saw the sparkling foam, and with my cheek on one of those green stones that fleeced with moss under the shady trees lay round me scattered like a flock of sheep, I heard the murmur and the murmuring sound in that sweet mood when pleasure loves to pay tribute to ease. And of its joy secure, the heart luxuriates with indifferent things, wasting its kindliness on stalks and stones and on the vacant air. Then up I rose and dragged to earth both branch and bow with crash and merciless ravage, and the shady nook of hazels and the green and mossy bower, deformed and sullied, patiently gave up their quiet being. And unless I now confound my present feelings with the past, ere from the mutilated bower I turned, exulting, rich beyond the wealth of kings, I felt a sense of pain when I beheld the silent trees and saw the intruding sky. Then dearest maiden, Move along these shades in gentleness of heart, with gentle hand touch, for there is a spirit in the woods. None of the poems are titled in the volume I I possess. These tourists, heaven preserve us. Needs must live a profitable life. Some glance along, rapid and gay, as if the earth were air, and they were butterflies to wheel about, long as the summer lasted. Some, as wise, perched on the forehead of a jutting crag, pencil in hand, and book upon the knee, will look and scribble, scribble on and look, until a man might travel twelve stout miles or reap an acre of his neighbor's corn. But for that moping son of idleness, why can he tarry yonder? In our churchyard is neither epitaph nor monument, tombstone nor name, only the turf we tread and a few natural graves. To Jane, his wife, thus spake the homely priest of Ennerdale, was a July evening, and he sate upon the long stone seat beneath the eaves of his old cottage as it chanced that day employed in winter's work. Upon the stone his wife sate near him, teasing matted wool, while from the twin card's toothed with glittering wire he fed the spindle of his youngest child, who in the open air with due accord of busy hands and back and forward steps, her large round wheel was turning towards the field in which the parish chapel stood alone girt round with a bare ring of mossy wall, while half an hour went by the priest had sent, many a long look of wonder, and at last risen from his seat beside the snow-white ridge of carded wool which the old man had piled. He laid his implements with gentle care, each in the other locked, and down the path that from his cottage to the churchyard led, he took his way, impatient to accost, the stranger whom he saw still lingering there. T'was one well known to him in former days, a shepherd lad who ere his sixteenth year had left that calling, tempted to entrust his expectations to the fickle winds and perilous waters with the mariners, a fellow mariner, and so had fared through twenty seasons, but he had been reared among the mountains, and he in his heart was half a shepherd on the stormy seas. Often the piping shrouds had Leonard heard the tones of waterfalls and inland sounds of caves and trees, and when the regular wind between the tropics filled the steady sail and blew with the same breath through days and weeks, lengthening invisibly its weary line along the cloudless main, he in those hours of tiresome indolence, would often hang over the vessel's side and gaze and gaze. And while the broad blue wave and sparkling foam flashed around him, images and hues that wrought in union with the employment of his heart, he thus by feverish passion overcome, even with the organs of his bodily eye below him in the bosom of the deep saw mountains, saw the forms of sheep that grazed on verdant hills, with dwellings among trees, and shepherds clad in the same country grey which he himself had worn. And now at last, from peril's manifold, with some small wealth acquired by traffic amid the Indian Isles, to his paternal home he has returned with a determined purpose to resume the life he had lived there both for the sake of many darling pleasures and the love which to an only brother is born in all his hardships since that happy time when, whether it blew foul or fair, they too were brother shepherds on their native hills. They were the last of all their race, and now when Leonard had approached his home, his heart failed in him, and not venturing to inquire tidings of one so long and dearly loved, he to the solitary churchyard turned, that as he knew in what particular spot his family were laid, he thence might learn, if still his brother lived, or to the file another grave was added. He had found another grave, near which a full half-hour he had remained, but as he gazed there grew such a confusion in his memory that he began to doubt, and even to hope, that he had seen this heap of turf before, there was not another grave, but one he had forgotten. He had lost his path as up the vale that afternoon he walked through fields, which once had been well known to him. And oh, what joy this recollection now sent to his heart. He lifted up his eyes, and looking around, imagined that he saw strange alteration wrought on every side, among the woods and fields and that the rocks and everlasting hills themselves were changed. By this the priest who down the field had come, unseen by Leonard, at the churchyard gate stopped short, and thence at leisure limb by limb perused him with a gay complacency. A, thought the vicar, smiling to himself, Tis one of those who needs must leave the path of the world's business to go wild alone, his arms have a perpetual holiday. The happy man will creep about the fields, following his fancies by the hour, to bring tears down his cheek or solitary smiles into his face, until the setting sun, right full upon his forehead. Planted thus beneath the shed that overarched the gate of this rude churchyard, till the stars appeared the good man might have communed with himself, but that the stranger who had left the grave approached, he recognized the priest at once, and after greetings interchanged and given by Leonard to the vicar as to one unknown to him, this dialogue ensued. Leonard, you live, sir, in these days a quiet life. Your years make up one peaceful family, And who would grieve and fret if welcome come and welcome gone? They are so like each other, they cannot be remembered. Scarce a funeral comes to this churchyard once in 18 months. And yet some changes must take place among you. And you who dwell here, even among these rocks, can trace the finger of mortality and see that with our threescore years and ten was this used by Lincoln in his famous speech, and see that with our threescore years and 10, we are not all that perish. I remember, for many years ago, I passed this road. There was a footway all along the fields by the brookside. tis gone, and that dark cleft, to me it does not seem to wear the face which then it had. Priest, nay, sir, for aught I know, that chasm is much the same. Leonard, but surely, yonder. Priest, A, there indeed your memory is a friend that does not play you false. On that tall pike, it is the loneliest place of all these hills. There were two springs which bubbled side by side, as if they had been made, that they might be companions for each other. The huge crag was rent with lightning. One hath disappeared, the other left behind is flowing still. For accidents and changes such as these, we want not store of them. A water spout will bring down half a mountain. What a feast for folks that wander up and down like you to see an acre's breadth of that wide cliff, one roaring cataract. A sharp May storm will come with loads of January snow, and in one night send twenty score of sheep to feed the ravens, or a shepherd dies by some untoward death among the rocks. The ice breaks up and sweeps away a bridge, a wood is felled, and then for our own homes, a child is born or christened, a field ploughed, a daughter sent to service, a web spun. The old house clock is decked with a new face. And hence, so far from wanting facts or dates, to chronicle the time we all have here a pair of diaries. One serving, sir, for the whole dale, and one for each fireside. Yours was a stranger's judgment, for historians commend me to these valleys. Leonard, Yet your churchyard seems, if such freedom may be used with you, to say that you are heedless of the past. An orphan could not find his mother's grave. Here's neither head nor footstone, plate of brass, crossbones nor skull, type of our earthly state, nor emblem of our hopes. The earth, the dead man's home is but a fellow to that pasture field, priest. Why, there, sir, is a thought that's new to me. The stonecutters, tis true, might beg their bread if every English churchyard were like ours. Yet your conclusion wanders from the truth. We have no need of names and epitaphs. We talk about the dead by our firesides. And then for our immortal part, we want no symbols. Sir, to tell us that plain tale, the thought of death, sits easy on the man who has been born and dies among the mountains. Leonard, your dalesmen then, doing each other's thoughts, possess a kind of second life, no doubt. You, sir, could help me to the history of half these graves. Priest, for eight score winters past, With what I've witnessed and with what I've heard, perhaps I might. And on a winter evening, if you were seated at my chimney's nook, by turning o'er these hillocks one by one, we two could travel, sir, through a strange round, yet all in the broad highway of the world. Now there's a grave; your foot is half upon it. It looks just like the rest, and yet that man died broken-hearted. Leonard, tis a common case. We'll take another. Who is he that lies beneath yon ridge? The last of those three graves. that touches on that piece of native rock left in the churchyard wall. Priest, that's Walter Eubank. He had as white a head and fresh a cheek as ever were produced by youth and age, engendering in the blood of hail fourscore. Through five long generations had the heart of Walter's forefathers overflowed the bounds of their inheritance. That single cottage you see it yonder In those few green fields, they toiled and wrought, and still from sire to son each struggled and each yielded as before, a little, yet a little. And old Walter, they left to him the family heart and land, with other burthens than the crop it bore. Year after year, the old man still kept up a cheerful mind and buffeted with bond, interest, and mortgages. At last he sank and went into his grave before his time. Poor Walter, whether it was care that spurred him, God only knows. But to the very last he had the lightest foot in Ennerdale. His pace was never that of an old man. I almost see him tripping down the path with his two grandsons after him. But you, unless our landlord be your host tonight, have far to travel and on these rough paths, even in the longest day of Midsummer. Leonard, but those two orphans, priest, orphans such they were, yet not while Walter lived, for though their parents lay buried side by side as now they lie, the old man was a father to the boys, two fathers and one father, and if tears shed when he talked to them, where they were not and hauntings from the infirmity of love are aught of what makes up a mother's heart. This old man in the days of his old age was half a mother to them. If you weep, sir, to hear a stranger talking about strangers, heaven bless you when you are among your kindred. Eh, you may turn that way, it is a grave which will bear looking at. Leonard. These boys, I hope, they loved this good old mon. Priest, they did and truly, for that was what we almost overlooked. They were such darlings of each other. Yes, though from their cradle they had lived with Walter, the only kinsman near them, and though he inclined to both by reason of his age with a more fond, familiar tenderness, they notwithstanding had much love to spare, and it all went into each other's hearts. Leonard the Elder, by just eighteen months was two years taller. It was a joy to see to hear to meet them. From their house, the school is distant, three short miles. And in the time of storm and thaw, when every watercourse and unbridged stream, such as you may have noticed, crossing our roads at every hundred steps, was swollen into a noisy rivulet. Would Leonard then, when elder boys remained at home, go staggering through the slippery fords bearing his brother on his back. I have seen him on windy days in one of those stray brooks, nay more than once I have seen him mid-leg deep, their two books lying both on a dry stone upon the hither side. And once I said, as I remember looking round these rocks and hills on which we all of us were born, the God who made the great book of the world would bless such piety. Leonard, it may be then, priest, never did worthier lads breaking English bread. The very brightest Sunday autumn saw, with, near, with all its mealy clusters of ripe nuts, could never keep those boys away from church or tempt them to an hour of Sabbath breach. Leonard and James, I warn every corner among these rocks and every hollow place that foot could reach to one or both was known as well as to the flowers that grow there. Like roebucks, they went bounding over the hills. They played like two young ravens on the crags. Then they could write A and speak to as well as many of their betters. And for Leonard, the very night before he went away in my own, own house I put into his hand a Bible and I'd wager house and field that if he be alive, he has it yet. Leonard, it seems these brothers have not lived to be a comfort to each other. Priest, that they might live to such end is what both young and old, in this our valley, all of us have wished, and what for my part I have often prayed, but Leonard. Leonard, then James still is left among you? "'Tis of the elder brother I am speaking. "'They had an uncle. "'He was at that time a thriving man "'and trafficked on the seas. "'And but for that same uncle to this hour "'Leonard had never handled rope or shroud. "'For the boy loved the life which we lead here. "'And though of unripe years, a stripling only, "'his soul was knit to this his native soil. "'But as I said, old Walter was too weak "'to strive with such a torrent. When he died, the estate and house were sold and all their sheep, a pretty flock in which, for aught I know, had closed the Eubanks for a thousand years. Well, all was gone and they were destitute. And Leonard, chiefly for his brother's sake, resolved to try his fortune on the seas. Twelve years are past since we had tidings from him. If there were one among us who had heard that Leonard Eubank was come home again, from the great gavel down by Lisa's banks and down the Anna, far as Egremont, the day would be a joyous festival. And those two bells of ours, which there you see hanging in the open air, but oh good sir, this is sad talk, they will never sound for him, living or dead. And last we heard of him, he was in slavery among the moors, among, upon the Barbary coast was not a little that would bring down his spirit, and no doubt before it ended in his death, the youth was sadly crossed. Poor Leonard, when we parted, he took me by the hand and said to me, if ere he should grow rich, he would return to live in peace among upon his father's land and lay his bones among us. Leonard, if that day should come, t'would needs be a glad day for him. He would himself no doubt be happy then as any that should meet him. Priest, happy, sir. Leonard, you said his kindred all were in their graves and that he had one brother. Priest, that is but a fellow tale of sorrow. From his youth, James, though not sickly, yet was delicate. And Leonard, being always by his side, had done so many offices about him that though he was not of a timid nature, it's still the spirit of a mountain boy, in him was somewhat checked, And when his brother was gone to sea and he was left alone, the little color that he had was soon stolen from his cheek. He drooped and pined and pined. Leonard, but these are all the graves of full-grown men. Priest, a sir that passed away. We took him to us. He was a child of all the dale. He lived three months with one, and six months with another, and wanted neither food nor clothes nor love. And many, many happy days were his. But whether blithe or sad, tis my belief, his absent brother still was at his heart. And when he dwelt beneath our roof, we found that often rising from his bed at night, he in his sleep would walk about. And sleeping, he sought his brother Leonard. You are moved. Forgive me, sir, before I spoke to you. I judged you most unkindly. Leonard, but this youth, how did he die at last? Priest, one sweet May morning, he had gone forth among the new dropped lands with two or three companions whom their, their course of occupation led from height to height under a cloudless sun. So he at length, through weariness, or haply to indulge, the humor of the moment lagged behind. You see on precipice, it wears the shape of a vast building made of many crags, and in the midst is one particular rock that rises like a column from the vale, Whence by our shepherds it is called the pillar. Upon its airy summit, crowned with heath, the loiterer, not unnoticed by his comrades, lay stretched at ease. But passing by the place on their return, they found that he was gone. No ill was feared, till one of them by chance entering when evening was far spent, the house which at that time was James's home, there learned that nobody had seen him all that day. The morning came and still he was unheard of. The neighbors were alarmed into the brook, some hastened, some ran to the lake. Ere noon they found him at the foot of that same rock dead, and with mangled limbs. The third day after I buried him. Poor youth, and there he lies. Leonard, and that then is his grave. Before his death you say that he saw many happy years? Priest, eh that he did. Leonard, and all went well with him? Priest, if he had one, the youth had 20 homes. Leonard, and you believe then that his mind was easy? Priest, yes, long before he died, he found that time is a true friend to sorrow. And unless his thoughts were turned on Leonard's luckless fortune, he talked about him with a cheerful love. Leonard, he could not come to an unhallowed end. Priest, nay, God forbid. You recollect, I mentioned, a habit which disquietude and grief had brought upon him. And we all conjectured that as the day was warm, he had lain down on the soft heath and waiting for his comrades, he there had fallen asleep. Then in his sleep, he to the margin of the precipice had walked and from the summit had fallen headlong. And so no doubt he perished. When the youth fell in his hand, he must have grasped, we think, his shepherd's staff, for on that pillar of rock it had been caught midway and there for years it hung and moldered there. The priest here ended. The stranger would have thanked him, but he felt a gushing from his heart that took away the power of speech. Both left the spot in silence. And Leonard, when they reached the churchyard gate, as a priest lifted up the latch, turned round and looking at the grave, he said, my brother, The vicar did not hear the words, and now he pointed towards his dwelling place, entreating that Leonard would partake his homely fare. The other thanked him with an earnest voice, but added that, the evening being calm, he would pursue his journey, so they parted. It was not long ere Leonard reached a grove that overhung the road. He there stopped short and, sitting down beneath the trees, reviewed all that the priest had said his early years were with him, his long absence, cherished hopes and thoughts which had been his an hour before all pressed on him with such a weight that now this vale, where he had been so happy seemed a place in which he could not bear to live. So he relinquished all his purposes. He traveled back to Egremont and thence that night he wrote a letter to the priest reminding him of what had passed between them, and adding with a hope to be forgiven that it was from the weakness of his heart he had not dared to tell him who he was. This done, he went on shipboard and is now a seaman, a gray-headed mariner. Thank you.